Well, everybody knows it's about my voice now, so that's for sure. And it's a beautiful voice, that one. One of unity, one of togetherness, one of peace, one of love, you know. That's the way forward. Oga, Oga. From the African Highway Podcast Network, I'm Dumi Mabena and this is Zimbabwean Voices, the show where we focus on Zimbabweans that are doing great work to shift the Zimbabwean narrative for the better. For this episode, for episode two, we got a chance to interview my, my friend Axel Jeffries, who is a Zimbabwean race car driver, and he is really Africa's leading driver in motorsport. And I learned so much from this particular episode, I actually had to write down notes um, that I think I'll touch on, which I'll share to give you a bit of context around why I think this interview was important. So, um, firstly, representation. Um, when we look at motorsport in the African, in a global context, there are not many people of color outside of Lewis Hamilton that are really exceeding and excelling um, to the fullest um, in motorsport. And Axel is literally right up there um, on a global stage. And I think it's important from a representation perspective because you look at little kids, often they say, kids, you become what you see. And in the African context, um, I feel as though motorsport is highly underrepresented. And I think looking at Axel's journey and hearing his story, we get a sense around, you know, what that journey even looks like. Um, being a person of color from Zimbabwe, trying to blaze a new trail. So that was the first thing. The second thing I took away from it was, man, the power of support. Um, from your family and the power of sacrifice um you know often you see of course a person shining the light and really excelling but you don't really fully appreciate the amount of effort and sacrifice and and belief quite frankly that it took from people you know in your corner to be where you are and i really got that through this through the interview that i had in conversation that i had with axel um and then lastly I'm not sure if you guys have read a book called The Alchemist, but when you listen to Axel's story, it just really, it's a quintessential hero's journey. Um, you know, it has all the highs and lows that make a great story. And I just hope that it kind of sheds light on what it means to be an African blazing a new trail, inspiring a new generation of people um, to follow in his footsteps. Um, enjoy. <laughs> but basically, the general context is like, You know how hard it can be, like, for example, like you and I, not not hard, but you and I, of course, we live, I live in Johannesburg, you live in whether it's the UAE or Germany, and you get to the stage where you almost become like, it can be easy to become detached from Zim in many ways, um, but especially like with yourself, you fly the Zim flag through racing and every day you literally have to put that badge on your chest, um, which is like a really positive thing. But when you go on Google, you go on your phone, often it's, you know, politics and economics yeah. and nothing beyond those two things. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I thought it would be good, I think for two reasons, to like hear look more about your journey. I've seen a lot of videos about, um, you know, just tidbits, but no like detailed steps around actually how you got yeah. there. And I think it's important for like parents and kids who'll be listening to be like, oh, if I have a kid who's a good carter, maybe I can follow that footstep, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's that's basically what I want to do. So appreciate the time, man. No worries, no worries, man. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. Cool. So firstly, how are you doing? Like what's been happening? I know, of course, you've had a lot of 
changes recently, but what have you been up to these days more, most recently? Yeah, well, uh, obviously, my career has changed quite a lot from where it was, let's say, 10 years ago when we knew each other quite well and used to see each mm-hmm. other a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the focus has changed completely. So before I was chasing Formula One and the Formula One dream, whereas mm-hmm. now I'm racing in GT cars in multiple championships. Uh, but it has been, yeah, very exciting. Let's say lots of things have changed, lived in lots of different places, and mm. it's been quite a journey to get to where I am now. You know, so many things happened that were completely unexpected. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's put it this way, I'm super happy where I am now, and uh, mm. I'm kind of just excited and looking forward to seeing what happens. Cool, man. And in the context of racing, of course, there's so many different tracks, if I can call it that. So, of course, there's like you mentioned the Formula One dream, right? Where does uh, GP lie in the spectrum? If that makes not not in terms of levels, but in terms of the pathways and the different spectrums, if that makes sense. Sure. So I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain it to you fully then. So <laughs> let's say when most kids start in motorsport, ultimately, <laughs> the big attraction is Formula One. You know, that has mm. the most following. It's, it's, yeah, it's the hero card of, of motorsport. Yeah. Uh, and generally for that, you start off in karting. And from mm. karting, you go to Formula 4, Formula 3, mm. Formula 2, and then finally Formula 1. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, obviously in Formula 1, there's only 20 Formula 1 cars on the grid. So 20 drivers. So very limited opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And that, the other thing with the single-seater route or formula route is it's mm. really a lot depends. It, it's financial. Uh, it's a financial game. It depends how much backing you have um, rather than talent. Of course, the top five, uh, well, not, I would say the whole field in Formula One is talented to drive those cars. It's not easy at all. Mm-hmm. But, um for sure, there's quite a big difference between the top 10 in Formula 1 compared to the, the guys. Else. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Whereas generally in GTs, uh, there's a lot more opportunities. By no means am I saying that uh, the drivers in GTs are better than Formula 1. 100% any Formula 1 driver can jump into GTs and be directly at the front. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. But there's certainly a lot more opportunities and it's a lot more achievable and attainable. Uh, and generally, mm. your, your career is a lot longer in GTs. You know, you can normally drive GT cars into your early 40s. Okay. Mm. Um, mm. Now, in terms of the career path, it's more or less quite similar that you start off in go-karts to learn the basics. And then there's so many different options you could go uh, to gain your experience. Mm. But mm. ultimately, the main the things at the top would be GT3 racing and uh, let's say the ultimate dream is Lamar. So mm. LMP1 cars, LMP2, GTE, mm. etc. cetera. Um, there's a lot of manufacturers involved in GT racing as well. And it's a lot more relatable to the general public because when you see the car, you can immediately understand what kind of car it is, you know. Right, this, they, is, a lab- this is this brand. Oh, cool. Exactly. I mean, hmm. they just visually look the same, or not even they don't look the same, but you can have an idea of what car it is, but nothing is the same compared to the, the road car. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I am at the moment. I race in uh, 
in GT3 for Lamborghini. And mm. um, I also race prototypes in LMP3. Mm. Uh, I've done quite a bit of racing with Porsche as well this year. We won Dubai 24-hour. Uh, yeah. We raced in Asian Le Mans with Porsche. Um, and then I'm just starting quite an exciting journey now with uh, Ferrari in GT Open, in GT3 as well. So that's the nice thing about GT racing. It's very really broad. Exactly. It's really broad. Yeah, you, you can make so many contacts, uh, whether that's with manufacturers, teams, sponsors. Uh, and it, I feel it really helps set you up later on in life. Whereas when you're in formula, mm. it's, it's purely focused on your sport and your performance. But then when you finish, mm. you kind of, uh, yeah, you have nothing to fall back on. Whereas I feel GT mm. opens doors for you and it helps you meet a lot more people, I feel. Mm. Did you feel that thing that's fair? Did you feel, I don't know if the word is conflicted, if I can call it that, but as you mentioned before, the big goal for any child who, I think yeah, any, maybe not any, but a lot of children that are watching motorsports is the pinnacle, which is Formula One. And as you mentioned as well, I know I've had many conversations with you about this and other races as well. Is It's not even about talent really everyone's talented to a certain point but it just becomes about funding and money um so i guess the question i ask was did you feel conflicted when it got to the point where maybe uh, backing became a constraint and you can say well i now have to pivot this way um as opposed to this initial goal that i had in my mind did you feel like some sort of angst in internally or not really uh no because for mm. two reasons mm. one mm. i'm doing what i love which is mm. uh motors i'm i'm racing at the highest levels mm. I'm to travel the world i'm driving amazing cars um, mm. working with great people so i'm i'm very fortunate mm. i feel i'm i'm living most young guys dream you know mm. so that's mm. for sure i'm completely happy and then mm. on top of that is when i stopped in single seaters so i got to formula two and then unfortunately we didn't have the backing to go further mm. um i actually stopped racing for quite a long time i stopped racing yep. for three or four years. And in this period, do me, I tried everything to get back in a seat, but I just didn't have the backing at the time. So I had no opportunity. Mm. And uh, honestly, I kind of lost faith and hope that I would race. And it got wow. to a point after, let's say two years of trying everything. And I, when I say everything, I mean, it was all I was living and, and, and working towards was trying to find a seat in motorsport. Mm. That in the end, I said, you know what, Axel, this is not happening. Rather mm. than being depressed and uh, and upset, live your life, carry on with your life and, you know, open yourself up to other opportunities. There is, there mm. is something else other than motorsport. So mm. that's kind of what happened. And then when the opportunity came completely out of the blue, <laughs> of course, I grabbed it with both hands. <laughs> and um, it was yeah. unexpected. Yeah. And, it's crazy because I went from fighting to find a seat to a small opportunity coming that opened so many doors for me. And now I'm doing mm. so much more than I could have ever imagined. Mm. So, so, do, question, so no, I'm super, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm super grateful. Yeah. I want, I'm going to come back to that part in terms of that, those three, four years in the wilderness. But so what I want to do is take it back. Um, I, of course, typically as a child, there's so many different, we tell kids they can do anything. Like you can be this and you can do that, but then really the older you get, it gets very narrow. 
So I always find people very interesting that really have different career parts, if I can call it that, whether it's music, musicians or athletes or motorsport, you know, mm-hmm. um, athletes as well. Because I feel like, and I think or specifically in Zim, because not many people do it or walk the journey. I think many people kind of do the conventional thing and go to varsity and what have you. And then, you know what I'm trying to say? Yes. So for me, I think it's really important to kind of take it back and then just get a sense of to the steps that, that, you know, so we can track what that journey was like for you. So from the beginning, I know like you see a lot of, we see a lot of like uh, athletes that have performed at the highest level, their parents are heavily, heavily involved in their careers. Um, was this something, where did this even start? Um, and how did it kind of snowball into where it is now? Yeah, I mean, for sure, my my parents played the biggest role out of any anyone um, or anything mm-hmm. in my career. Um, obviously, I grew up in Harare, mm. uh, but my father used to race at a very amateur level in Zimbabwe. Mm. And I guess through that, watching my dad um, going to the track with him, I kind of caught the bug. Uh, and I remember where would you go? Was it was it Do- Donny Brook or does that Donnie motor? Was that motor then, or Donny yeah, Brook? Donny Brook was the main <laughs> one, and then yeah, yeah. there was also a circuit yeah. in Bulawayo, which I forgot what it's called. Forgive me. Yeah. Um, mm. But so those were the two places we used to go quite a lot. And I remember when I was about three or four years old, I picked up a, a karting video, and I used to watch that almost every day. And, a video. Uh, so what does that mean? Like, a, like an actual cassette? Like, a cassette like an actual tape. cassette. My dad, uh, we went into a video store. I saw it. I, my dad bought it for me. And I used to watch this every single day. <laughs> and um, I used to ask my dad constantly, like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And eventually, mm. I think for my sixth birthday, my dad bought me a, a go-kart. Um, and it just started off like that. You know, it, it started off as a fun hobby for myself to do with my dad. Uh, which was great because I feel out of everything, what motorsport, the two things motorsport really gave us was it helped build my relationship with my father. I mean, we're always close, but I mean, mm. in the end, we, I mean, you know us. I was with my dad yeah. constantly and the relationship I have with my family mm. is, is mm-hmm. really tight. Um, mm. And it instills quite a lot of discipline in you. Mm. Um, so I started karting at six years old. It was initially for fun, but... Mm. Again, you know my dad, you know what he's like. He's a bit of a soldier. We're competing. We don't do <laughs> We do it full stream. Everything uh, is full stream. So we play to we play I, to win. We play to win. Exactly. So I remember I think after one year of karting, I was seven years old. He sat me down and he said, Okay, um, you need to decide now. <laughs> do you, are, are we going uh is this something at seven, you want, at at seven. seven. <laughs> is this something you want to do and if it is something you want to do are we going to you you have to be fully committed to it and we're going to throw absolutely everything at it um or if it's something you want to do for fun you tell me now and we can carry on to do it for fun but of course it's not going to have his full attention and we're not gonna yeah it's going to be something just on the side mm-hmm. whenever we can mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was seven years old. I chose motorsport, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, Absolutely. I don't want to do anything else apart from this. Exactly. Big call. So, Big call. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's kind of how it started. And then I guess just one thing led to another. So after we won in Zimbabwe, the next logical step was to go to South Africa because at the time, 
South Africa had one of the most competitive karting scenes in the world. Um, on, question on that. I almost feel as though in this particular sport of karting, I think parents have to be supportive in a lot of sports, but in karting, it almost has to be a full all-in press from yeah. the family. Is that correct? Like it's a full commitment. It can't just 100%. be half-hearted. Exactly, because um, obviously, number one, financially, it's not cheap. Mm. And mm. at that level of, of uh, sport or motorsport, it, it doesn't really attract many sponsors, okay? Um, so mm. you do need your family to support you or friends or, or whatever. Um, and it takes a lot of time because if I look at uh, my schedule now where I feel I'm super busy compared to when I was 12 years old, mm. it was so much busier when I was 12. You know, in karting, mm. we used to race 30, 40 weekends a year. Okay. Really? And this it's is just basically over, every weekend. Exactly. Yeah, it's basically every weekend. All over the world. And because karting is so competitive and accessible, everyone practices so much as well. So it's not mm. just that you're racing 30 or 40 weekends a year. When you're not racing, you're practicing. So of course you need your family. Your, your, on my side, it was uh, my dad that was there. All the, mm. Of course, my mum. Of course. Of course. But, um, yes. My dad was there with me at the track all the time, you know. So they, he played a vital role in my career 100%. And it's clear yeah. that I wouldn't even be close to where I am now without him. Phenomenal. So then when you so you moved to South Africa, right? And so I, I want to touch on that. But then what are we doing for school at this stage? So we've, we've committed at seven years old. Axel has said, we're going in. Um, yeah. <laughs> school can, so what happens to school? And the reason I ask is that some people don't know. Like the, the first person a question will ask is, a parent will ask, is then what happens to school? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, of course, it's a very hard, hard thing mm. to balance. Uh, mm. I remember up until I was 12, I managed quite well. Uh, studies didn't really drop, managed to to kind of work in between my racing whenever we're traveling at nights, etc. Um, mm. A bit of homeschooling and it was it was okay. Um, mm. But then when I went to high school, it became a lot more difficult, mainly because most of the schools said I couldn't miss as much school as I needed to, to, to mm. carry on motorsport. So normal school wasn't really an option. And uh, I had to start homeschool fully. Mm. Not going to lie, my uh, grades and, and everything did drop a little bit because as soon as we You're went all in. School, there wasn't as much discipline as, mm. uh, as normal. And mm. it was clear as well in my family that my career was going to be in motorsport and that was something I wanted to do. So mm. it would be un understood if I needed to put more focus attention and time into motorsport yep. than my education mm. um i don't necessarily regret it well you you live it's, it's turned out nicely now so exactly it, it, I, 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 don't know, I, I don't want to say uh, it was the right decision because i feel i was just very lucky and fortunate and i've been able to go through my life now and yeah every, everything's quite great but for sure, education did take uh, quite a hit, and my high from my high school years, it dropped dropped massively. Fair, fair. So I'll come back to that. So okay, and that's fair, and that's fair. And thanks for sharing that. So you go to South Africa, which is the next. Is that the next? That's how the circuit works. You do well in Zim, you do well in Zim, but you say, okay, cool. Next step is South Africa, 
what what is that circuit there like a lot of people don't really know this but especially at that Mm. time i mean i'm a a little bit out of karting now so i don't know Mm. what's going on there but i remember Mm. during that period south africa had won multiple world championships in karting so it wasn't that it was a decent level it was was world class there Mm. you can do well anywhere in the world Mm. okay so we went there and I remember the first year was a big wake-up call because karting uh, mm. in Zimbabwe at the time, yeah, was, there was some really fast drivers, but there were two or three mm. fast drivers. Um, mm. Whereas I went to South Africa and you have a field of 30 guys who are really quick and aggressive and big teams mm. and everything. So the mm. first year was a shock. Mm. I mean, mm. I remember the first race, we, we pitched up with my cart on the back of a trailer, which was completely normal in Zimbabwe. <laughs> and then... Yeah. You have teams rocking up with massive trucks, massive with boarding. trucks just parking. <laughs> exactly. And we there, my dad and I pulling our cart off the top of the trailer, you know. Um, so it was a big wake up call, you yeah. know. But uh, we, we put our heads down, we worked, we had a couple of good results, nothing too crazy. The next year was much better. And uh, then we got picked up by Toyota and Castro, mm. and they supported my career. Castro Zim, um, this Castro Zim. No, no, or like Castro, in, in South Africa. South Africa, Africa uh, sure. They supported my my career fully, actually, in karting. Mm. And mm. Uh, through that, we went to we won more or less uh, all, all the the classes I competed in in South Africa. Mm. And from mm. there, the next logical step was to go to Europe. Did you ever feel like intimidated, or like I mean, not intimidated, but first year? Because I feel like I've spoken to a lot of. Um, I think Zimbabweans often have like a chip on their shoulder sometimes, whereas we go into like big markets, if I can call it that, maybe a bit, we feel a bit tentative because it's not, we haven't trained in like the world-class stage, if I can call it that. Yeah. So when you first arrived, were you, what was the thought, what was the lot, the thought process where you're like, look, look, whatever, I'm going to just have a go and it'll be what it'll be. You know what I'm saying? I think if it had to happen to me now, at this age, yes, of course, mm. you would go there and be a little bit intimidated, and mm-hmm. yeah, feel a feel, mm-hmm. a feel a little bit out of depth, out of your depth. Mm. But mm. at that age, you don't know better. I was nine, ten years old, you know. Mm. That, yeah, okay, mm. I saw other people with much nicer equipment, nicer stuff, and I think my dad felt it a lot more than than me, you know. Mm. Um, mm. Mm. But for me, I knew one thing: I'm coming to race. That's it. Mm. I don't care mm. what. Uh, what the others have uh, mm. but to give you an idea of where we were in the you know grand scheme of things uh in karting when it rains obviously you're fully exposed so your whole body gets wet everything gets completely yeah. wet it's normal that you have a wetsuit and then you have wet boots and everything which go over your racewear so you don't get wet yeah of course and i remember at the time we had to make do with what we had. So I remember it started mm. to rain. My dad said, okay, okay, we need to do something. We can't do anything. We bought a bin bag, bin bag over, <laughs> bin bag over me, tape, plastic, uh, shoes, and then kitchen, kitchen gloves over my racing boots. And that was it. And, and we went. <laughs> Like this, this is what it is. It's raining, but what I just finished, cross the finish line. That's all we got yeah. to do at this. Day. <laughs> it wasn't even just cross the finish line. We were going there mm. to win, but we had, yes. to, we had to work with what we had, you know. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I I can't imagine it wasn't easy for my parents. Uh, it, it, I know it wasn't easy. So 
from my side, it, it was what it was. Obviously, as I got mm. a little bit older, you do feel those things a little bit more. But when you're young, you don't... Uh, you, you don't really care much about it. Yeah. And then eventually, I think you, you guys are showing that commitment. Then someone says, okay, now let's let's back these guys and then see and see how well they do. Yeah. And then, of course, that then snowballed into you winning everything in South Africa, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as I said, I think it was like one or two years in South Africa of finding our feet. Mm. Mm. But then after that, uh, I was quite proud. We became the only, the first person of color to win a national championship in South Africa. That's huge. Um, mm. Yeah, which was which was really nice. And again, mm. I look back at it now, and I think I still don't realize how big it was. But then it's I huge. Didn't, I didn't even think of it, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, so it's quite. We ever nice. made you feel out of place per se? No, you, to answer your question, probably not because you're a kid. You didn't. I don't know if you remember. I was watching a thing about Lewis Hamilton this this morning, and he was talking about. You know, only kid of color on a on a British racetrack. Sometimes kids say nasty things. Did you feel that way there in South Africa, or not really as much? No, honestly, mm. let's say between the, the the drivers that I was racing mm. against and my competitors, mm. there was never any racial uh, slurs or anything like that. Mm. But mm. then again, I do feel like um, our generation is a lot more accept mm. like acceptable mm. to things like that. And mm. uh, however, my father had a lot mm. more issues compared to what I went through. So yes, between the drivers, there was nothing, but I remember my dad having multiple fights with other fathers for racial abuse, racial slurs mm. that they've said and mm. stuff like that. So he was always there fighting in my corner and I could mm. see what was going on. And yeah, of course there were some times where I know we were picked on. I mean, even things like winning the championship, we won the championship on track, but we had to go fight in court to claim it because we were protesting wow. things that were completely ridiculous. Well, what were the content? What were the what were the contentious issues that they were so so quote unquote claiming? I remember. I mean, it, it sounds so silly now, but our on on our helmets, we obviously have a visor, and on the visor we have we have to wear a series the, the series sponsor okay like a, mm -hmm. a sticker yeah and i remember we wore I, I wore the sticker the whole year okay and mm. throughout the year obviously you get stone chippings and what have you so yeah. it gets destroyed and for the last race of the year i went to the organizers to say could i please have um, a, a new visor sticker because mine mm -hmm. is completely destroyed Okay. Yeah. And I said, and it's not visible, you know, so it wasn't mm -hmm. even something for me. It was just for the series sponsors. And they said, mm -hmm. no, sorry, we don't have any in stock. I said, okay, is what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did the race, won the championship. And then afterwards we were protested that we weren't wearing the visor sticker. And that was the thing that, that I wanted to discredit you against. Exactly. Damn. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> Jeez. So, of course, I'm sure your dad was, that's just one example of what maybe your dad was fighting like on the sidelines exactly. whilst know, you're doing your thing. From, from his side, he had multiple, multiple issues, which uh, I would say he did well to keep me kind of out of it and help me focus on my, yeah. my while he dealt with it. Yeah. And and then this time, then so it looks like it works in, in stages. So you now go to South Africa, then you say, okay, well, we've, we've got to the top of this mountain. And then life being what it is, you want to then go to the next mountain. Um, if I'm correct, it, you went to you went to Asia 
to form no, WMW? Uh, or was it somewhere else? The next, the next step was we went to go compete in karting in Europe. Okay. Mm. Um, and again, it was more or less the same thing that we had in South Africa, even though South Africa was really competitive on track. When we went to Europe, it was another level, you know, mm. in terms of professionalism, the size of the teams and that kind of stuff. So again, the first year was a bit of a wake up call. Mm. Um, we didn't do bad. I mean, there was 50, 60 carts on track, but we were always in the top 10, but the higher end of the top 10. And then uh, I remember the second year in Europe, everything completely changed. It was exactly like in South Africa. We went there, first race, straight away. We won in the wet as well in France, which, you know, we were not, we were not racing so much in the rain in Africa. So it was did, you have the, this, did you have the gears? Do you have the gear in place this time in Europe? Yeah. At this stage, you, you I was racing already. I was actually in <laughs> one of the big teams with the big trucks, you know. Yeah. I had all the gear. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, so it, it started off quite well. And then from there, I think I was, I was now 12 years old. My dad was already looking at what the next step would be. And that was to go into single seaters. And normally for formula cars, you were only allowed to race formula cars when you're 16. Mm. Uh, but my dad already got me to start testing when I was 12 years old in single seaters. Uh, it was quite young, but I remember yeah. it was quite funny. They had a, like an initial, he, he knew I was too young to race. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there was a course which allowed 14 year olds to come and let's say, find their feet, understand how a car works, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. was based in Bahrain. And my dad was so eager for me to make the next step. He lied on the application saying I was 15. <laughs> Okay. And when I was 12 years old, we went to Bahrain. Yeah. But the biggest oversight that him and myself have had was Mm. we completely, we just thought, okay, I've been racing for so many years. I'll know what to do when I jump in the. Yeah. Yeah. I had never driven a manual car in my life. So when I sat in, I was like, (laughs) there was a clutch and all of these. In the end, it was it was so embarrassing. The one of the tutors had to basically completely step out of it, and he spent two days just teaching me how to use a clutch, not even teaching me how to drive. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's funny. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so but then obviously we started testing single seaters, and I did a whole year of testing, and. Uh, I, stopped, I managed to get permission to race when I was 14 years old, so quite young, but yeah. we had showed promise and, and practice and everything. So mm. we went mm. to Asia, did Formula BMW. Mm. Uh, we finished third in the championship. Mm. Um, and then, again, it was just naturally the same thing, step by step, we went up. So after Formula BMW, I think we raced. In fact, I had two years out then as well, because as I mentioned, Formula yeah. cars were very... Um, yeah, money dependent, and we yes. didn't have the backing after Formula BMW to continue. So I went two years out the car, no practice, no nothing. What was that? I think I met you just. That was when that I had time. a good friend I, 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 named I, I, Lina Bena. <laughs> <laughs> they used to keep me fit and uh, train with. I met you <laughs> on the daily. So what? So what was that period like? Of course, how can I put it? Because obviously, 
it's a very you can feel almost in the wilderness if you will because you think they've been on this treadmill going up chipping away at this at this big goal and then you've got two years in the wilderness what did that feel like did you ever feel like i don't actually know if this is going to pan out for me or we just kind of having faith that at some point the next opportunity will come about what's very strange and when i think back at it is that i feel things would affect me much more now than what they were affecting me then it's like at that age i just had a clear goal of what i wanted to do and i knew no better i didn't care about money i didn't care about my social status i didn't, I didn't care about anything it was just mm. racing was all i wanted to do mm. so those things didn't affect me and i was able to just fully focus on my my motorsport and even when i wasn't racing i was doing two things i was working every day towards it making sure I was fit and prepared for any opportunity that came and then yep. working to find sponsors and that kind of stuff so I was still working in that direction mm-hmm. uh, so that was fine I would say the only point that let's say I lost a little bit of faith and hope was mm-hmm. uh, I saw what motorsport did to my family because at the early stages they were the ones that had to finance everything and support everything Mm. they completely ended up yeah selling everything and they ended up with nothing they lost their business lost their house lost absolutely mm. everything and i remember t- after two years being out we were living in the uk at the time mm. and i saw the struggles my family were going through and i just thought to myself this is not fair you know it's not fair for for everyone mm. to to go through this for me and mm. to continue to sacrifice with no real guarantee mm. and i thought to myself okay i've i've got to stop this because my family is so committed to it i have to mm. stop and i think mm. i was 15 and i went to my dad i said dad you know it wasn't the truth mm. but i said dad i just don't enjoy motorsport anymore and i just mm. it's just mm. not what i want and mm. i would be much happier if you guys could you know get your life back on track and focus mm. there instead of uh you know focusing on my racing mm. and i said it's just not what i want to do anymore mm. and you can imagine <laughs> the response <laughs> i had from my dad <laughs> i mean i went with a good heart i went with a good heart he thought he was not hearing any of that he was not hearing any of that thank god so, he was the way he was because most other people probably would have said okay he's throwing in the towel i'm going to throw in the towel now as well and um not your dad is really single minded yeah. yeah and thanks to him i th- we didn't give up and uh he made me change my mind <laughs> and um, well put well put yeah <laughs> i was actually you know what I was, what i was when i was thinking about before our conversation i was thinking we spoke about how the big constraint in motorsport is resources financial resources and when you look at the time where i think your parents are making those sacrifices that's literally like when the small the small economy was tanking yeah do you know what i'm trying to say and i think we all have our own stories like parents i think every small one has this the story of trying to go to school seeing parents struggle was paying school fees but i think your specific one is like you're trying to do racing and the economy is just taking a nose dive and, and the then there's your sister into sport in the world as well in the world yeah. and then you're you're trying to justify investment into this. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. I think you're okay. I'm I'm 
I think you're a kid. For for most part, you don't really see. Or or, or, did, or maybe I don't want to put that assumption on you. Did you notice and say no? Actually, this is fully aware. Fully aware. You're fully was, aware the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the reason why at some point I felt really guilty and uh, wanted to to stop because my family went from being big business people having big businesses, you know, living quite a high standard of life to. Mm us moving from, uh, I mean, you remember we used to live in Bardo Brook together. We had mm-hmm, you know, a great life mm-hmm, living mm-hmm. on a golf course to us moving to the UK and all four of us staying in a one bedroom apartment. Yeah. Okay? And all four yeah. of us working honestly 16 hours a day. And that's from my parents down to myself and my sister. Mm. So of course I was fully aware of uh, what, what it did at the time to, to the family. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So, so we're there. Um, yeah. I think, and I, I got glimpses of it, but I think I didn't understand like the full gravity and weight of of the situation. And, and yeah, it's it's you know kudos to them for sticking by and kind of pushing through. But I can imagine I can't imagine what what it must have been like. You know. Um, yeah. But we we eventually moved to the UK. Um, you then say, okay, I'm gonna go to the UK and maybe I can have greener pastures there. Um, you know what I'm saying? So what was that like? So oh, and what was the reason for that? The move to the UK actually happened because um, at the time, so for multiple reasons, as I mentioned, I wasn't racing. Okay. Mm. And uh, I had been given a scholarship by the MSA, the British Motorsport Association to mm. join Loughborough University. So in a way it was kind of like a, a fallback option for, for myself. So I moved to the UK to go and study. My sister, who you know very well as well, she moved Mm -hmm. to Edinburgh University. So she was that side. And then obviously throughout my career with everything that my parents did, their business kind of fell apart in Zimbabwe. So they thought, okay, we need to go somewhere where we can work and try and get back on our feet again. And that's why Mm -hmm. we went back to the UK. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. all four of us were there. Um, sorry, I lost that. Your question was no, 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 no worries at all. So, so you're there, and we're still, even though like we're still trying to. I think everyone's rebuilding at this stage. Whether it's you, yeah. your parents, you're trying to kind of stabilize. Exactly. We're, but we're, we have a base in which we can re-strategize and figure out what the next step is. So, what yes. did that look like for you after? So, was it was it Loughborough or was there anything beyond there? You know no, what I mean? so, so basically, what what happened with with us is obviously, I was getting older, mm-hmm. but not racing. And the gigs aren't coming. The gigs exactly. aren't coming. But, but the yeah. problem is, is the way, especially formula cars work, it is kind of relatable with your age. At a certain age, you should be in Formula 4. At a certain age, you should be in Formula 3. At a certain age, you should be in Formula 2. two. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening was I missed a couple of years and I couldn't go back to Formula 4 or Formula 3. I had to look at Formula 2, which was crazy because... The last thing there's I no drove, training, no development. Exactly. No, yeah. The last thing yeah. I drove was Formula BMW, which had 170, 160 brake horsepower to GP2, which was 600. You know, <laughs> so it was like a huge step. Six, five fold. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but the other thing about it was because we were now looking in that direction, it becomes a lot more attractive to sponsors because you're racing at a much higher level you're on the formula one um, support package Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was the direction we were working Mm -hmm. 
and yeah, just like like always, something came completely out of the blue. Got a phone call uh, one day from a friend in Zimbabwe who put us in contact with uh, someone else, and mm-hmm. it really was completely random, and that that managed to get our career back on path for a short period, and we went to Formula Two. And Formula Two is just a level, just forgive my ignorance, it's just below Formula One. Exactly. Um, do you not feel like it was almost a shock to the system because one, you're, 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 in the, you're in this period where you're just believing, you're just yeah. having faith and belief. You're training as if yeah. it's going to come, it's going to come, but nothing's coming. And then it comes, right? And then it comes, but then you're like, okay, well, it's here now, but this means I have to now get into a car that is like, yeah. I've missed two, three years of training. And now, I, and also people die. People die in, <laughs> <laughs> really, people die. Did you ever have like apprehension about say, oh gosh, it's here now? Or do you just feel like, nope, this is what I've prayed for. Let's go and do it. So when I look back at it now, it's absolutely crazy because I'm so much more experienced now. I'm so much more mature. I have, yeah, yeah I, I feel so much more established as a racing driver and everything. Mm-hmm. But even if you had to tell me now, Axel, tomorrow you're going to race in Formula 2, I'll be like, whoa, I'm not prepared <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a car every single week, every, you know, racing at the highest yeah. level. So, yeah, it's yeah. completely crazy to think I just jumped into the deep end like that. Mm-hmm. But we didn't think that way. You know, it was what we dreamt of and what we were pushing towards. And it was a blessing. You know, we knew, okay, this is it. You don't get these mm-hmm. kind of opportunities. You cannot say you're not ready. You have to go all guns blazing and make the most of mm-hmm. it. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what we did, you know. Yeah. And, um, I know, I know it was quite a, how long was that period of a GP2? Was it like six months, three months shorter than so you it, it expected was, or was, longer? It was a little bit on and off um, because we went, so in 2012, we started in Formula 2, which we did, mm. let's say, like a half campaign. Mm. Then in 2013 and 2014, I went to race in America in Indy Lights, which was, let's say, the equivalent of Formula 2, but of IndyCar. So in America, you have IndyCar, Indy Lights. Mm. In the rest of mm. Europe, you have Formula One, Formula Two. Mm. So I raced in Indy Lights. Again, odd races here and there, not, not a full program. And then after that, I came back to do GP2, and it was just a couple of starts. Tell me something. on the Indy, I'll come back to GP2, but in terms of Indy Lights, what was the American appeal? So, of course, they must have given you a call and said, hey, you know, we've seen there's a, an African racer. They, they must, so Americans love story. They yeah. like the idea of someone, something new, something to contribute to the narrative to place in the American market. What was the appeal for in you specifically, if you remember that? It was exactly that, that uh, there was an African racing at a high level, a person of mm. color, and um, it was a bit of a diversity program from American Honda. So American Honda put the program together and mm. uh, through that, that gave us the opportunity to go there. Do you think that there's ever, would you ever, re, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you revisit and yes. derail yourself again, but with America being the huge market that it is, do you, would you ever, if that call came, would you ever consider it? Or is it not a financially lucrative thing? You know what I'm saying? At the IndyCar level though. No, at, at IndyCar, I mean, of course, you, <clears throat> It is one of the highest levels in motorsport. You have Formula One, mm-hmm. and then I would say after mm-hmm. Formula One, IndyCar. So mm-hmm. at any point in my career, I'd be <laughs> excited to to go there. 
And, uh, but now in the field I'm in and the career I'm in, it's a completely different path anymore uh, now. So it's not even mm-hmm. something that I'm looking at. And mm-hmm. likewise, the teams in IndyCar or in Formula Racing would not look at any GT drivers. Generally, mm-hmm. uh, you look down the Formula ladder in Formula 3, Formula 2 to see what young new talent is up and coming. And those would be the guys they try and funnel up into F1 or IndyCar. Got you. Got you. Okay, cool. That makes sense. I just bring it up because it seems like throughout your career, there are often points where the things that you aren't planning or expecting for that are completely out of left field (laughs) and you end up (laughs) dumping into them. So I put it out there to say, if that comes, remember you heard it here first that, listen. Look, I mean, (laughs) you, you say that, but it was something I was not looking at in the slightest of it was a dream of mine. I would have loved to do it, but it was something I wasn't looking at at all. But there was quite a big push for um, a person of color to be in IndyCar last year when obviously um, there was quite a lot of stuff happening in America. With George Black Lives Matter. Right. Exactly. So there was nearly an opportunity and there was a lot of really really quickly that happened in that direction. But ultimately, it never never came to fruit. fruit. But it it could it could be a thing. Okay. But there's a there was some energy. That was kind of in the, okay, exactly. interesting. Exactly. So we've done indie indie lights, we've done GP two. Um, so we've got two gigs that have kind of kept the the wheels turning a little bit, yeah. you know, which is phenomenal given the context that we're coming in from in yeah. in, in in the UK. But now it's like okay, so now what, you know? So I will I will put it into context for those that don't know. Yeah, give you an idea. To race in Formula Two, a driver needs to bring between one and a half million to two million euro per season. Okay. And when you mean when you say bring in, what do you mean? Like just you have to have two, mm-hmm. one and a half to three million dollars worth of sponsorship money ready just to deploy. At exactly, a because that's effectively how much it costs to run a car in Formula Two. Now that can either be from sponsors, corporates, uh, family support, whatever, but that is what is required from a driver. Okay. Three bar. Yeah. So one, one and a half to 2 million euros. So one, yeah. One up to two. Sure. So it's a crazy amount of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically we reached a point in GP2 where we had support, verbal support from a couple of people, and uh, sure. we went through with everything, um, but it never came through. Sure. And I was actually in Abu Dhabi at the time, mm-hmm. and the team said, "Axel, we can't, we can't continue because mm-hmm. financially we have to need resources exactly, and things haven't, and we have to go with another driver that's willing to to do this, which was fair enough." And that's where like my life completely changed because I was 20 at the time mm. and 19 or 20. And I kind of walked away from the team thinking, okay, so this is definitely not happening. Um, it's been so on and off the last five years of my racing career. I haven't had anything consistent and I just said, okay, I, I really don't know what I'm going to do with my life now. I had no fallback option. Um, 
I, I really didn't know what to do. So I walked away from the mm. team and I was just trying to mm. clear my mind and I was thinking, mm. I was, felt a little bit out of place, you know, I, I felt really unwelcome there and I didn't know what to do. Mm. And I randomly bumped into someone at Yasmina Circuit who... Yes, which is where in, in Abu Dhabi? In Abu Dhabi. Uh, sure. Which is, I mean, it's the best circuit in the world. Yeah. And a car pulled up next to me said what are you doing walking around i said i'm really sorry i didn't know i'm uh, I'm, I'm sorry i'm walking around but uh, i'm actually one of the drivers and he said no i know who you are but what are you doing walking around why are you not why are you not driving and i explained the situation to him and he said um, no i i'm the head of the the racing school at yasmina circuit experiences uh you want to come come to my office and we can sit down and have a chat Mm. and uh went had a had a chat with the guy and um he literally said so what are you going to do now what's what's next for you and i said well i i really don't know and he said would you be interested in moving to the uae full-time living here and working with us at yasmina circuit and i said well of course i had no i had no, other I have, I, I five, no five minutes five minutes ago i was just thinking what am i going to do with my with my life and now you're making me an offer that's you know going to change everything mm. and i literally started working for yasmina circuit that day that uh, evening i already was looking after the um, forget it was um I, for, I forgot who it was, but basically it was royal family from, um, honestly, I, I, I can't remember if it was bad. But anyway, I started working that day. Yes. And, um, and you take changed. people like Everything. around and, and you, you, and you take. Oh, you. Yeah, huge, basically, huge. yes, Marina Circuit, they had uh, experience experiences from all their It was GT cars, Formula cars, everything. And it was one of the biggest tourist attractions in the UAE. Uh, it was very high profile. We had so many celebrities coming through, uh, um, world leaders. So we, we did so many cool things. And uh, I was really happy and enjoying my life in the UAE. Um, Tell me something on that point. I know I saw um, a video, like just... I think I saw a video of you and Will Smith and Jaden Smith and Trey Smith. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was that like? Well, was that just like an average day at work? Like, well, just so another Monday. This, this is the crazy <laughs> thing is that people, of course, I shared quite a bit of so on social media, but mm. I didn't share even half the stuff we did. It was a weekly thing that we were constantly having huge, huge celebrities, mm. massive names, that were coming through. So it was kind of normal for us. Um, and this is what was so nice about it. You know, I loved working at Yasmin Circuit, you know, I worked with a great team. Uh, every day we were doing something different. Um, it, it was fun. It, it wasn't work. I mean, it wasn't work. I, honestly, like, I, I can't believe this is my job. Every day. <laughs> I, I was thinking, okay, this is in a way even nicer than racing. <laughs> <laughs> like I kind of hit, I kind of hit the jackpot, yeah, you know. Um, and yeah, it was it was really great. But there came a point. So as I as I said earlier in it, mm -mm. initially I worked like crazy to 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 try and get back into racing. At some point, I realized that things are not working out, and I said, 
I've got so many great things around me that I'm not enjoying because my mind is, is just here on the motorsport. I said, mm. let me be grateful for what I have and actually enjoy mm. what I'm doing. Mm. And I did. And I had two years where I felt that in those two years, I made up for all the sacrifices I made throughout my whole career, you know, like even silly things. Like it was the first time in my life that I had a collective group of friends that I could see all the time. Yes. You know, yes. Mm. It was, I was, I could finally go buy myself a car. I had never had a car yeah. in my life. Mm. Um, mm. You know, there were just so many small things that I could do what a normal person. Yeah. I have an apartment. I have a job. I have a this, this and that I can exactly. mate on a weekend. Exactly. Right. In those two years, I feel like I made up for everything and mm. everything was great. And I, I had nothing to complain for, but mm. something was missing. And it, the itch, the itch still there, like well, Axel. Yeah, it, it, it was mm. an itch of, am I settling for less than what, what I deserve? Am I still able to compete at the level I want to compete at? if I'm given the same opportunity, because I always, in the back of my mind, I said, okay, in my single-seater career, I never had the results that I wanted or felt I was capable of because we never really were fighting on uh, an equal level with everyone else. We're always jumping in the deep end and it, mm -hmm. was, it was always really tough for me. So I always thought to myself, I said, what if we get the same opportunities? What will then happen? Mm -hmm. So there were quite a lot of unknowns. And I remember, again, I was a vital person in my, my career. My dad came mm -hmm. to visit me in Dubai, sat down. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I took them. They were so happy to see me doing well in my life and, and career outside of racing and to see that I have a life outside of motorsport. Well, outside of racing, I was still involved in racing. Yes. Um, and I told my dad, I said, look, everything is is... I've got more than I could ever ask for, and I'm so ha I'm so happy doing what I'm doing. But it, like, I'm I'm almost upset when I go to a race event and I see other people racing that I used to race against, and I'm not there, you know. Yeah, I think I, I watched the video. I think you, I think often like it's on the BS Marina race of Formula One, and I think I saw you interviewing like Danny Ricardo or interviewing yeah. Lewis Hamilton. And I almost felt like this weird, even watching it, because I know you and I, and I know it was a very weird thing because you're like, geez, these are the people that I should be racing against. Well, yeah. racing, you know what I'm saying? Competing with. Well, but I, I'm on the I, other I'll side give of the you fence. An example. I remember, so as you said, I was, I was responsible for doing all the driver interviews at Formula One um, at Yes. And after all the interviews, there was the Formula 2 race. And the whole team that I worked with uh, had organized that we all go and watch the race together. Mm. And, of course, initially I was excited and everything. And as soon as I got there and as soon as I got, like, into the suite where we were watching from, I almost started crying. And I just, I just walked out of it and I couldn't do it because I just felt I was like, that's what I should be doing and that's where I should be. Mm. and mm. now I'm a spectator, you know, mm. and I, I, I couldn't watch it. And I, I just walked, I just walked away, you know? So it, 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 there was always, I was happy on the front, but there was always something missing. Mm. And uh, I sat down with my dad and I explained everything to him. And uh, he just said, well, Axel, if this is what you want to do, you need to make a decision again 
and you need to firmly believe that this is what you want and no matter what this is you're going to give your all to make this happen mm. and i remember i sat there i shook his hand and we said we're going to do this okay and do me two days later i had a seat in gt racing yeah what do you mean what do you mean literally what do you mean literally so you like, said this is this is it and you said like this is what's going to happen This whatever whatever that looks like exactly we're going to start racing again my dad asked me what do you want to race what do you want to do i said this is there was basically um there was a championship called lamborghini super trofeo and it was coming mm-hmm. to race in the middle east for the first time and i thought to myself i said well dad this would be amazing if we could do this because i've been living in the uae for so long i've been on these tracks working i know the tracks quite well mm-hmm. you could get the opportunity there that would be all that would be amazing you know because mm. uh i feel like we can be competitive and showcase ourselves so we said okay this will be the, a good first step let's see what we need to do to make this happen called mm. a couple of teams and obviously the first thing was okay it's going to be x amount which you need to bring mm. your sponsors or whatever mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I thought okay we're kind of back to square one yeah because i'm I have nothing to put towards <laughs> my <laughs> to towards my seat. So, uh, okay, thanks for for the info. Put the phone mm. down. Mm. And then two days later, I got a call from one of the teams that I had called and said, "Listen, Axel. Uh, so basically, how Super Trofeo works is it's two drivers per car. Okay, because it's endurance racing. Sure. And they said um, one of uh, the drivers." doesn't have a teammate and we're looking for a fast teammate uh would you be able to drive and i said well, of course but you know i don't have and they said no no we're not on yes. budget we just need a fast driver and i said okay i'm down and uh we went first yeah. race put it on pole we won we won the middle east championship and then after all that success they said okay can we can you continue with us and go to europe This is um, no training axel no tra- i mean no formal training in that particular car or in that particular with, with car the, no mm-hmm. but what was really great about the work i was doing is i was in a racing car almost every day and um, not almost i was in a racing car every day so i wasn't driving mm-hmm. super trofeo but in those couple of years not racing i mm-hmm. ended up learning and progressing so much more than i did throughout my whole single seater career you know i got so mm-hmm. much seat time um mm-hmm. which is why I said my work was crazy because I was doing what I love and getting paid to do it you know <laughs> I was basically in paid practice and um and which you didn't get before which you which you which which is the because remember there was it was tough to get the sponsorship to even train before now you're yeah. training and you're getting paid to do it which is like I can't believe this, this is a crazy <laughs> thing I mean the, the cost of doing one day in GP2 was 20 25000 euro Okay so we never did any practice and then all of a sudden I'm getting paid every day to take people on hot laps you know so it was a completely different um yeah a different way of thinking so mm-hmm. we went we won the middle east championship in that then the same driver and team said okay can we continue into europe and uh, we went into europe in the first first race we actually won as well we put on pole one uh just missed out on the championship we lost the championship by one point we finished second 
Uh, and then it just snowballed from there. The next year, I got a mm. five-year contract with uh, one of the teams with Lamborghini. Mm. And uh, through that, we went Super Trofeo and up to GT3, which is more or less the pinnacle of GT racing. Mm. And uh, yeah, we had a lot of success in different championships that again opened so many doors. And now, from as I said, from not racing, from doing nothing, I'm doing multiple championships, multiple different cars, and uh, calendars unbelievable. Backed out, booked yeah. out. Yeah, that's phenomenal. What a journey! Um, congratulations. I know. I know how long it's. <laughs> I, I think I've, I feel like whenever I've had time opportunity to spend expensive extensive time with you it's always in the in-between phases yeah <laughs> in between gigs. yeah and it's always like oh gosh i don't know what's next but like look it's it's worked out okay it's worked out okay worked out better you know? than i i could have hoped for honestly i'm you know i'm really happy and fortunate to be doing what i'm doing now and mm. so grateful and the, the one thing i i remember the most is i look back in, in the years when i wasn't racing and I thought to myself, you know, I did so much, but I didn't enjoy myself. You know, I was so stressed. And mm. obviously, I, I, now I only do it because I want to win and I want the results. Mm. But I was just so focused on that. And I, I looked back and I said, okay, I'm not racing. During the period I wasn't racing, I'm not racing now. But I can't remember even one nice memory from my motorsport. I said, so if I ever wow. get the opportunity mm. to mm. race again... I want to enjoy myself because I know now that it can stop at any point. So mm. I said, if I ever start again, I want to enjoy it so I can look back later on in my life and really be proud and happy of what I've done. Mm. And I've come into motorsport now, having fun, enjoying myself. Of course, I'm still working even harder than what I was. Of course. Then. Sure. But I'm having fun. And the results mm. are there and everything's going so much better now that I'm flowing with things compared to before when I was, you know, holding on to every opportunity. Stressed. Stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I'm more glad. I'm, I'm so happy that, you know, it's, it's worked out the way it has. Um, so you're still a young man in the grand scheme of things. You aren't you know, 40s, or not, that's not to say anyone that's listing as 40s going to be old, but I'm saying in the scheme, the scheme of racing, <laughs> you're still um, a young yeah. man. Um, I watched an interview of yours and you said one of the most important thing, things of yours was like one, one of the big things, I think you said setting goals, keeping uh, the faith and just kind of believing. Um, so what goals do you have now? But do you have any goals beyond this or are you just right now just taking each and every moment as it comes and just letting it flow um a bit of both but before i go on to the goal thing there's something i, I would like let's say the listeners to know because i feel like it's so important and it was something i was asked a while ago i remember i did an interview and someone asked me a similar kind of question about goals and uh, but it eventually led to what would you tell your younger self now, mm. uh, you know, after going through what you've gone through? Mm. And it would, as cliche as it sounds, it would be to really believe that anything is possible. Because I remember I was racing and I had the goal of what I wanted to do, but it was so far away. It, mm. it was so far away. 
that I almost felt it wasn't attainable. It was just nice to say, okay, I want to have a career in motorsport. I mm. want to do this. I want to do that. But mm. it was almost too far to believe that it could happen that I thought, okay, it's not. And honestly, probably now, if I look back at it, had I known that what I'm doing now could have been possible, mm-hmm. I for sure would have worked even harder. I would have put mm-hmm. even more time into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So regarding goals, I would say really to set no boundaries on, on anything and really go mm-hmm. for what you, what you want, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, to your question, yeah, there are a couple of things I want to achieve still, or not a couple, a lot of things I want to achieve, uh, whether that's ticking off uh, and winning some big races. I mean, this year I won my first 24-hour race, which was massive, mm-hmm. and uh, I won it in Dubai, which was really nice because it's, it, you know, Zimbabwe is obviously where I grew up and home and the, the flag I mm-hmm. represent, but the UAE has almost become like my second home. So it was mm-hmm. kind of nice to win on, let's say, mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. of home soil. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the way we did it as well, which was was quite special. So mm-hmm. there are a couple of other big races that I would like to win. I mean, the naturally, the one I've been working on quite hard lately is to win Nürburgring 24-hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't had the luck yet, but this year we... We were amazing. We put it on pole uh, in the dry, in the top 30 shootout. We were second overall. And Nürburgring is really, it's the toughest track in the world. It's 25 kilometers long. There's Mm. 180 cars on the grid, best drivers in the world. uh, Really tough conditions. So Mm -hmm. it's stuff like that. There there are multiple races like that. I want to compete in Le Mans and hopefully win it as well. Um, and there's a couple of other things that, that I would want to achieve. So for sure, there is still a long list uh, of things I want to do. Phenomenal. And to, I think the two, the two things I want to end off with, um, you could have, maybe the first thing I'll ask is on that point that you raised around anything is possible. I think for me, the most important, I think anyone can learn from that, but to a young Zimbabwean kid, um, we, all we have is, is Donnie Brook and, and, and that place in Bulawayo that you talked on. So you've traversed this journey. Do you truly believe that it's, these things are really possible? Like if there's a kid who wants to say, I want to be in Formula One one day, do you truly believe that is fully possible? 100%. Um, of course, nothing's easy. Okay, whether yeah. that's in motorsport or whatever field, it's, it's not going to mm-hmm. be easy. But mm-hmm. 100% anything is possible because speaking just from experience in motorsport what i what we've been through there have been so many opportunities and things that have happened which were completely out of the blue that i could have never planned or never Mm. never put together in any way and Mm. i look at some of the guys i competed against in south africa who had Mm. so much natural talent and were Mm. really world-class drivers Mm. and i know didn't believe and felt like everything was too far away and gave up on the dream completely Mm. and never made it any further than karting. Mm. And when I look back and see, let's say talent wise, we were more or less the same financially and the opportunities they had were even more than what, uh, what I had, but Mm. they threw in the towel and gave up because they thought it was, you know, it was impossible. Mm. So hundred percent, 
I think if you're willing to sacrifice and give it your all and your family's fully behind it, mm. anything, anything can happen. It's, it's possible. Yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. Thanks for that, Axel. And then the, the last question is, you could have either gone, do you ever feel not conflicted per se? I know you're, you could have either flown for the UK or you could have or represented Britain or Zim. Uh, and there were times where you would think like, geez, a lot of these issues that I'm kind of facing with the cost of funding and things of that nature and access to facilities might not have happened had I just chon- chose to train as a British driver as opposed to a Zim driver. Um, when you look back, would you change that or are you kind of happy with the decision that you've made? I'm fully happy with the decision I made for multiple reasons. One, um, the financial side of things is the same for every driver from every region. You know, it's mm. uh, I now that I've been through it, I know that everyone struggles. Okay. So from that mm. side, that wouldn't have changed anything. Mm. Um, the other side of things, it's so nice to be able to give back to uh, your home country where you grew up and mm. gives people something to be proud of. Mm. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's the other thing, it's completely different. You know, there are so many British drivers on the grid. It's mm. uh, it been a, a huge positive for me being Zimbabwean and being someone from Africa. Uh, it's mm. something new. It's something that uh, manufacturers are able to sell. Uh, mm. it, 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 it's definitely made me stand out compared to had, uh, me competing under the British flag. So I'm yeah. quite happy with my decision to, to always stay under the Zimbabwean flag. Awesome. Um, and then there's one more story I want you to tell us. There's a story you once told me about, um, I think if you remember the story, yeah, I think yeah. about a street kid. So maybe if you remember the one I'm talking about, about a street yeah. kid back in you, I think it, and the, before you tell it, I think it really embodies how everyone wants you to win. Everyone really, really wants you to win because if you win, we win. Yeah. Um, and the further you go, the longer the trail that you can kind of, and the footsteps that you can leave so that someone can walk in then. So maybe touch on that story, because um, I think is, is just amazing. But yeah. So, but thank you for reminding me about that because I had completely, yeah, I hadn't forgotten about it, but it's something I hadn't thought of for a long time. But yeah. And now when I think of it, it means even more to me than what it meant then because I'm a little bit older and a little bit more mature. But yeah, I remember yeah. when we were trying to put everything together, we kind of set up a, a GoFundMe page uh, to try and help the dream, you know, to keep the dream alive. Mm. And there was quite a lot of media attention and press around it. And um, yeah, we managed to, to, to get the ball rolling. And I remember I'd just come back from one of my races abroad. Yeah. Uh, I went to, for an interview and on my way home, I stopped at a traffic light and there was a street kid that walked, walked to my car. And mm. naturally, I was expecting him to ask for some money, food or anything. Mm. And I was just getting prepared to pull out my wallet. Mm. And as I pull out my wallet, I see his hand come into my uh, just just into the window. And he, he's holding money and, and, and he's giving me money. And I'm like, what? what's going on here and uh, he says Axel we're so proud of you Mm. and we know the struggle you're going for yes this is all I can do to support it yes a dollar um can we put towards your 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 program we're so proud of what what you're doing for our country 
And I remember I was in the car with my mom and my mom just started crying, you know. Um, and Jack, yeah. I mean, oh, oh, man. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was quite special. And obviously didn't take it. But, you know? Of course, of course. Yeah. I think it's, 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 it's small, but I think it like, yeah. it represents like a big idea because, you know, I mean, you won't even think that you'd be reading a newspaper. Obviously, I'm sure everyone, most moms can read, but you won't think he's reading the newspaper and looking and he says no. But I think it's important for me, even without a home, that Axel goes and without is successful. Food, without food. Without, without anything, food. You know? Without anything. It's like, it's still important that this dollar goes towards supporting Axel because I think it's something I believe in. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? Yeah. It's extremely powerful. And I'm, I'm humbled and I'd never ever thought that up until that point i never really thought i had an impact on people or felt that people were following my i knew we had fans and everything but i didn't know people mm. were following me and wanted uh success for me that much so of course it was touching and you realize at that point that okay there's a bigger role that i have to play it's a lot more than uh just my sport and you know mm. what i do you, you end up becoming an ambassador and you have to look a lot further than just yourself. Do you think about the idea of legacy? Like, do you ever, do you ever, do, does that factor into your, your thinking? Or is it just like, look, right now, all I want to just do is do my best. And what happens after I, I'm done is, will be what it will be. Or do you think a lot about legacy? It's, I think it's way too soon and I haven't achieved enough to think about a legacy. Sure. Or anything like that. I think, uh, sure. yeah, maybe if I ticked off everything in my goals, then maybe I can think about that. But right now, there's still so much more to achieve in before, in before I can start thinking about stuff like that. Fair enough. X, thank you so much for your time, man. This has uh, been fun. Yeah, it's been fun for me. But um, yeah, man, thank you. No, no, likewise. It was great to chat. <laughs>